0: Hello, I'm Paul Tyler and welcome to Spoiler, the show which reviews movies, books and TV shows in their entirety. This week we're reading Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's classic Sherlock Holmes mystery, The Hound of the Baskervilles. And just another final warning, we will be talking about the whole of the book, we will ruin it for you. So, if you've not already read The Hound of the Baskervilles, go away, read it now, then come back to us afterwards. Have they gone? Right. Right. On with the show! There's a hundred new channels, I can't find what's really going on. We have never had so much choice. I can easily spend the time I should be watching a film, browsing Netflix, Now TV, Amazon Prime, BBC iPlayer, only to find out it's time to go to bed.
1: Too much choice of the wrong kind of things, you know. Too much
0: so, while plums like me are just about coping with not knowing we're born, let's take this episode of Spoiler back to a simpler. More carefree time, perhaps. Arthur Conan Doyle's Hound of the Baskervilles was written at a time that it could be argued quality was more important than quantity. Yes, Netflix, I'm talking to you. Regarded as one of the greatest crime stories ever written, at this stage in his career, Conan Doyle was able to take his now-established characters, Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson, and take the reader on a journey, not just to solve a mystery, but to engage with the possibility of the supernatural and toy with the idea of mythical beasts and family legends. In deciding to take on the review of this classic, we were actually faced with more of those dreaded choices. Should we look at the huge amount of TV series or films made, or maybe the radio dramatizations, theatrical interpretations, or even computer games? But in the spirit of keeping things simple, let's go back to the source, the original written works as Arthur gave it to us. That'll strip away any complications, surely. As you know, here at Spoiler Towers, the two reviewers do all the heavy lifting, and that's perfectly illustrated by the fact that they read the books we review, while I prefer someone to do the reading for me, in the form of an audiobook. A quick search on the app I use, you know the one, there really is only one, says that there are over 30 to choose from. Now, brilliantly, I can listen to short samples, allowing me to hear which narrator I connect with best. If we think back to our Wonder episode, it took a powerful and emotional story to take me beyond the rotten narration that threatened to hinder my enjoyment of that great book. Now then, who to go for? Derek Jacobi, one of the finest King Lears, apparently. This family paper was committed to my care by Sir Charles Baskerville, whose sudden and tragic death some three months ago Created so much excitement in Devonshire. Now he's obviously got some chops and all that, but you know what's gonna be on my mind? Yes, my name is Eagle. Eagle Eagle Eagle. Eagle, 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 Eagle. There's a couple of unknowns here. Jean and Jean. Sounds like a cool name.
2: I am afraid, my dear Watson, that most of your conclusions were erroneous.
0: Hmm a bit Sean Connery. How about Rob Penman? I left Baskerville Hall. And the broad path down U Alley soon changed into a rough moorland track. Sounds good, but rather like that chef who's always on Saturday mornings cooking fish. You know the one. Rick Stein, have another listen. As I passed through a gloomy valley between two rocky tours. Take your knife from the anal fin right through to the head and cut open the gut cavity. See, you'd be expecting Dr Watson to rustle up a paella. I could learn another language while listening to Claudia Gianelli. Sherlock Holmes, si molto or, Shall we just listen to the master? Mr. Sherlock Holmes, who was usually very late in the mornings, save upon those not infrequent occasions when he was up all night, was seated at the breakfast table. Good, fries loaded up and ready to do his stuff. Does the hound of the Baskervilles live up to the legend? Does the supernatural element work, bearing in mind it was written long before 1996, will I like it? But more importantly, will the writings of the greatest detective of them all impress the greatest reviewing duo of them all? Later in the show, inspired by Baskerville Hall, we'll be taking a look at some other fictional spooky houses. But first, joining me in the studio are the reviewing team that with any luck will rip this dated old story apart like the hounds of hell they are. It's Andy Goulding and Rachel Burnett. Hello. Hello. Rachel, no messing, coming to you first. Go on. This is something that no one in the room is going to deny and we could face our first ever walkout if you don't accept that Sherlock Holmes is a bit of a (laughs) git.
2: I accept that fully. Excellent. He is a bit of a git, but he's very charismatic. It's very magnetic. And when he's being written about, when he's talking, I love it. Absolutely love it. Not so much when he's not there, actually, but I love it when Sherlock's there.
0: OK, hold that thought. Andy, before we get to the nitty-gritty, the substance, the gist, the crux, and even the elemental fundamentals, I will not move on until it's established that we can all agree that Holmes is an annoying know-it-all.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> right, <laughs> but that's okay. what he's meant to be, isn't it? That's, yes. I can relax now. We, we're not asked to like him. In fact, a lot of people say that Dr Watson is our point of entry, and so the way he treats him, <laughs> obviously you're going to think that. I see. That's all I had to say. Oh.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, good. Good. That's fine then. Uh, no, right. Okay. So, uh, oh, come on, back to the script now. Hand of the Basketball. Did you enjoy it?
2: I half did and half didn't.
0: Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, excellent. Right. Okay. Yeah. I, so was, I was genuinely I worried. I it with myself. <laughs> I, was I was genuinely worried this would be an episode where we would come in and, and, and most of us would like it. Would I have to play the devil's advocate? <laughs> I'm, I'm going to
2: be the fence sitter, I think, this time. Mm. Um mm. Yeah, I know, Surprise myself. But then I don't know whether I'm just, I am just left it too late to read it and then it became a chore and there, <laughs> there, blah, 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 blah. I don't know. Plus, there's something about a book that has been so widely adapted. I've seen it on TV, I've seen it in films, I've seen like the wonderful Benedict Cumberbatch's version. Um, it's so tainted by all these different versions. If you've never read it and then to read it, I kind of wish that I could take my eternal sunshine and spotless mind and just erase my memory of anything else to do with The Hound of the Baskerville so that when I read I can read it fresh. Because you can't you cannot read this book fresh because it's just the hand of the Baskervilles is just pervasive. it's it's in culture, and Sherlock Holmes is in the culture as well. So it's hard to read it as if they read it when it first came out because this is sort of pioneering. this is he set the tone for detective stories but I've read so many more already that it's kind of, is it intricate enough? It's really clever and I really love the beginning because I love drama. I love reading screenplays and it read like a screenplay at the start. So there was lots of dialogue and I loved the sparky backwards and forwards and I loved all of that. And I did like Dr. Watson and you can definitely imprint yourself on him and that's the whole point. But he kind of lost me a bit with all the various, this group of people, the Barrymores and then there's this a group of characters and there's Laura Lyons and there's this and there's that and I was like hang on I'm getting lost (laughs) and ordinarily I'd probably be able to deal with it but if you leave a book too late because you look at it and you go that's quite short (laughs) and you leave it too late (laughs) and you're up against it you're like right I've got to force myself to read it now so I'm probably not doing it the service it deserves to be fair
0: So I think we are what 51 episodes into spoiler and Mm. Rachel is doing you've illustrated in about 2 or 3 minutes uh, the way I've approached Fifty of those episodes. <laughs> How'd you cope? And this is exactly, exactly. I mean, we, really, we have talked about this in the past, haven't we? Yeah, about yeah. the way, you know. I, and I always believe uh, concerts, anything like that, cinemas certainly. Audience members need to bring something to the part themselves. And yeah. as as a reader, as an audience member, you need to put you need to put the toil in, don't you? You need to. Put, you really do. You know,
2: you really do. And I, I think there's something about when you're reviewing anything, is that you've got to put it into a context as well of where you are at that time. How tired are you? How well mm-hmm. are you feeling? How much time have you given it? Blah, 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 blah. Especially with reading a book. If you watch a film, it's, it's coming at you. It's much easier. Mm-hmm. But with a book, you've got, you've got to put the toil into it. And I, and I properly read it and I've reread loads of it as well. But by that point, I was getting cross with myself and with the book.
0: <laughs> so, Can I uh, recommend audiobooks to you? <laughs>
2: do you know, I nearly did. Because when it started and it was so much like a screenplay, I thought I might as well listen to this because mm-hmm. it's pure dialogue. So I might as well listen, but then it got more descriptive and, I, and then it became diary entries and stuff. But I thought, right, hang on now, I will read it. But I nearly did. Okay. I nearly went on to Audible.
0: Well, we'll come to the, 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 the different terms in narration, the diary entries, but uh, hey, let's bring Andy in and find out mm-hmm. uh, where he sits on this. Okay,
1: well. Have you got um, a splintered
0: bottom? <coughs> <laughs> <laughs> what
1: a well, thought. It's in- interesting because I'm a, a massive fan of Shark. Tank. In fact, I think I was the one who suggested we do this. I've read all 56 of the short stories and all four of the novels. Blimey. But weirdly, that's where I stopped with it. So I've watched a few of the adaptations, but they've never done it for me. And I've just sort of gone, right, I'll stick with the books. So I've never watched like Sherlock and I've never watched, uh, uh, I've watched like maybe one or two of the Jeremy Brett ones and the Basil Rathbone ones, and they've just never done it for me. I've always gone back to the book. So the way you're you're fatigued from all these adaptations of the Hand of the Basketballs, I don't have because mm. I've never actually watched an adaptation of the Hand of the Basketballs. I got into Sherlock Holmes, it was years ago when I used to have a hour and a quarter commute to work and then the same back at night. So from Oxfam, I picked up uh, the casebook of Sherlock Holmes, just like some of the short stories. And there was about the perfect length to fit into that journey. I could read one on the way there, one on the way back. Sometimes they were slightly too long and then it was a nightmare because you were like three pages from the end and I had to wait all day to get that solution (laughs) Uh, but as well as that I've been to uh, I've been to 221B Baker Street the real address which is now the site of the Sherlock Holmes Museum And in there, they've, they've like, sort of mocked up the house as it's described where Holmes lives. And so you you go in there, we went in, There's like, a a small group of us and we're all ushered into this sort of front room like it's described in the books. And then this slightly bored-looking man in period (laughs) clothes shuffled in. And he just looked up at us and he went, I'm Dr. Watson. And then he just started pointing at things in the room, going, Holmes's magnifying glass, my, my medical bag, Holmes's violin... And then there was no energy to it. But oh. then from, from the back of the room, like a really enthusiastic American tourist went, excuse me, sir, will Mr. Holmes be here today? <laughs> and this Watson guy just looked at him and he went, Holmes is ill. And I thought, oh, that, that's thinking on your toes, isn't it? You couldn't said he was out on the case or something like this thematically appropriate. Also... If he's ill, why isn't he in his own house? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's all, all by the by. Uh, so I was thinking, why is this Is this the one that adaptors come back to all the time over the others? For me, the key to it lies in 221B Baker Street, because when I was looking around it, You go up various different floors and they have these glass cases with all these items from the different stories underneath it. So you get like the snake from the speckled band and like the cut off hair from the copper beaches. And you slowly work your way to the top. And the last thing you see at the top is like a framed mounted head of the Hound of the Baskervilles on the wall. (laughs) And that's kind of like it's the last thing you see. So it's the trophy. It's the prize of the whole tour. And to me, this book feels like the prize of the whole set. It's I think it's so wonderfully written. It stands out amongst the stories, even though I don't think it's got a very good solution. I mean, basically, a bloke painted a dog. <laughs> it's not. It's not really like. It's not even really Scooby Doo, is it? But but I think the storytelling's amazing. The pacing is. It's like for me the epitome of a page turner. The way Conan Doyle continually layers in these sub mysteries and red herrings, you see, that was what annoyed you, wasn't it? But uh, the way he. No, I like some red herrings.
2: I just, I wasn't up to it. (laughs) 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 Ordinarily, I think I probably would be, but I just wasn't up to
1: it. I also like the fact that Holmes wasn't in it as much. So it starts and he whets your appetite Mm -hmm. for Holmes, he gives you him for a little while. And then he pulls back from it and you're with Watson for a while and then Holmes comes back as a big flourish at the end. And I think you get, I get less Holmes fatigue <laughs> than I would if he was there all the time, being the know-all git that he is. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I really enjoyed it.
2: I think maybe there's something to be said for having read the whole lot um, yeah, because yeah. I've got nothing to compare it to. I've never read any of it, so I don't know what it's like to experience home's fatigue. (laughs) So I'd really like to to try.
1: Um, Well, maybe you'd get on better with the short stories over the novels. A lot of people say they are better because it's made for that form.
2: Yeah, I think that's it. I mean, I totally understand I can, having read it, and I do understand the writing is terrific. I mean, the page turning bit for me was a struggle purely because I was trying to read something that I wasn't fully invested in, you know, when I had to. Maybe if I could read it in my own time, without the sort of an impending deadline but um I don't know I don't maybe not even still because I have you're so lucky that you haven't got this whole adaptation mm. of these films and everything else clouding it and that the books were you first I'd love to have found the book first but like I say I'd like to take all those adaptations out of my head because I knew too much about the solution yeah you know so as I was doing it was rubbish
1: it's not a good solution so all the time
2: <laughs> I'm reading it going oh it's only a painted dog and it's, uh, so it, it really does take the sinister element or the ooh element out of it because I already know because I've seen the adaptations so if I could read it absolutely without not knowing then those red herrings and all this bit throwing you off you'd be going oh, oh, what's that ooh but I wasn't I was going oh yeah I can see why he's throwing that
1: in yeah <laughs> even in this week since we've done it there's yeah. been two adaptations on TV <laughs> oh that's crazy and I recorded them both and then I deleted them both <laughs> because no, I do no, I don't want to. No, I don't, don't, don't to pollute yourself. No, <laughs> <laughs> okay, It's funny, you see, because you've
0: obviously said that this is probably the best of them all because I was going to say to you, Andy, because I think I, I knew you, you know, you're a bit of an aficionado. <laughs> Um, (laughs) Well, I got halfway through the word and forgot the word and then I remembered the word again, so I prolonged it. It's very much, yeah, it's like a... I I listened to too much just a minute. (laughs) Although that would have been hesitation, right?
2: True.
0: Uh, Or deviation away from the the English language. Anyway, back to the track. And I was going to say to you, because here's the the thing. Uh, Hey, let's bring me in for a while. Here's the thing, Uh, because I listened to uh, the Stephen Fry audiobook version. Uh, When you get the audiobook version from uh, the the audiobook version, come on it's the only flipping audiobook
2: <laughs> i think i let it slip anyway. <laughs> earlier
0: i mean that one anyway that one you know which one it is type audiobook into google i want to yeah. mention google <laughs> All right, <it's> audible. <laughs> right so from that from my monthly subscription there sometimes you can get a book that you really want to read and it's only three hours long and you feel a bit cheated from it you've got to wait another book actually it's, you know it's been worthwhile away the content's good quality not quantity uh, but here we get seventy hours for seven ninety nine. So this wow. is what I'm saying, Rachel. Get that in there. Get your free <laughs> months first. Whatever. I will. <laughs> seventy hours of it, and then wow. you, you can pick and choose each one as an introduction by Stephen Fry or you know, Handrian. Hand- hand- hand. But here's the, it's just. I, I know I dribbled on about it in the. Uh, in the introduction, but it's true. If you've ever listened to a Stephen Fry audio mm. be it one of his own or be it one of the Harry Potter series, mm. and I was thinking about this, I was thinking how best to describe just why he's so good because people, I think, audience, our audience maybe. Oh, just oh, they're going on about Stephen Fry again, and not just by us, but I mean everyone always oh, going on oh, how great he is. But here's the thing: here's the thing that is—it's is, true. There's there's a continuity to his voice, so he never overexits. He, he, he never really sort of makes a character far too outlandish because there's still he still keeps something of the narrator's voice in there and doesn't stray too far away. Whether he's doing Hermione Granger, whether he's doing uh, a cab driver from Devonshire, a postmaster, or uh, an upper class person, or Holmes, or Watson, or whoever. It's still within there. It's still not too far of a reach, and it still keeps this great continuity. And he's an He is an absolute master of it, and it's a pure pleasure. Now, when we started this series, it absolutely—it's so intriguing to me, Rachel, that you did what I always do and leave everything. for <laughs> <laughs> And this is like, oh, I'm on a smug fence today <laughs> because I, when we first had the meeting of this, I was probably earlier in the year or whatever. And we said so we laid down the six things we were going to do. Pretty much straight away, I downloaded this. I listened to it. Oh. Last week, I started to worry that I was going to sit in this room because you know what my memory's like. Mm-hmm. I mean, bearing in mind I've got the, the book is, in, is is sat in front of me on the table, and I've read that before. But the brilliant thing is, because I had a brilliant nineteen nineties, I have a terrible memory, and <laughs> I, I couldn't remember a thing about it really. I, I kind of knew they went down to they called it Devonshire. I like Devon. I prefer Devonshire to Devon. Yeah, but they're a bit defensive down there, aren't they, with all that jam and cream business? So I don't want <laughs> to really go into that too much. So this last week, played it again, and I went through sort of knowing, and this is the. The, the, the brilliant thing is now sort of knowing the ending, and I agree completely with you, Andy, and we, we will rip the ending apart. <laughs> um, just that coming back to it and how the boots came into it, because I think even after reading it and even after this is the first one, for some reason, <laughs> and it is, me, it is me bringing a bad game to the to the table, I couldn't really understand the boots thing. I just thought that was a, a, a red home, but actually, no, it was the, the mm. scent of the yeah. hound and the dogs yeah. chasing after the guy, and that's why it didn't do did an old boot, not a new boot and all this kind of thing. And... Uh, yeah, I was just absolutely overwhelmed with it. And I, this preparation thing <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I might catch on. The <laughs> uh, producer's looking at me and oh, thank God for that. <laughs> so, the, the producer of this programme and I have had a working relationship now for nine years, maybe? Yeah, nine years, uh, and I've never, mm-hmm. <laughs> never, never brought up anything prepped. <laughs> <laughs> um, but well, you, I had
2: to fill the gap then, didn't I? <laughs> well, yeah,
0: yeah. It's all—it's all about balance and calm, isn't yeah, it? If absolutely. I do it, someone else around the table not, not going to. So, Andy, I think I'm going to ask you this. I'm not going to ignore you for the rest of the show now, Rachel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, if <you> want. um, <laughs> I want—I want to think about—and I've got a, when we talk about the red herrings. And if we can all of it, we can all join in this. But when we talk about red herrings, and it can be in anything, when it's early on, when you think so. In this case, let's talk about the Barry Moores and yeah. the big beard and all that kind of business. Straight away, even I, right? Not the sharpest tool in the box. Even I was thinking, no, way too early in this. Now, yeah. I would like to see at some point, and, and oh, has there ever been? I mean, you two have got encyclopedic knowledge of everything. <laughs> Andy certainly has. has there been some kind of thing where at the beginning it's been a red herring and then you think no that's a red herring it's too far in this to to, to solve the crime too early and then it actually be that in the end I'm
2: sure because I've seen that happen
0: it must have done but if you know if not hey let's get our heads around it is <laughs> <Come
1: on. laughs>
2: I'm trying to think I'm sure there is something where it ends up being what you thought being, in the first place. Yeah.
1: So oh. then, then it's a different sort of uh, challenge to write, isn't yeah, it? Definitely. It's giving you it straight away, and then trying to distract yeah. you from yeah, the, yeah. the fact that that's probably what happened.
2: It's like it's Columbo esque, isn't <laughs> it?
1: Is? But it hardly ever is, is it? Now, some of the other red herrings,
0: I made a quick note of it. So, um, guess the stranger on the moor. Did you guess the stranger on the moor
1: was Sherlock Holmes? I did. The first time. I, well, I did. I don't believe this you, but time. <laughs> But I time, have yeah, read it before. before I can't remember <laughs> if I did time. if I did the first time I can't remember Rachel see
2: so this is the issue already seen too many adaptations <laughs> I'm
1: not asking
2: So, those. so that's that's my one of my problems with reading it. it's like I already know all these little stingers that he's very clever and I can appreciate it's really clever I already knew
1: you must have had some kind of affection for it if you watch so many adaptations but yeah
2: definitely and I totally I do think it's an amazing book but because it's tainted by knowing everything about it yeah when you try and read it as you just said did you guess this did you guess that well I didn't have to because I already
0: knew yeah, so there's been a point yeah, there was a point where it, you had but it was you, a TV programme uh, okay wait it's the same story when, yeah. you, when you watch the TV <laughs> programme alright let's go for the let's go for the big one who'd done it the who done it the Stapleton geezer yeah did you guess it I don't believe you but did you guess it I, you, did, uh, I
2: guessed him but I didn't guess Sherlock
1: you. Can you remember seeing it for the first time? Though? Because, yeah,
2: I was really young. Ah. Um, I saw it around my friend's house, Lottie, because she was well ahead of her years because she had older siblings. And I watched it when I was 11, I think. Um, I can't honestly remember which adaptation it was, but I remember being quite freaked out. <laughs> and I did not guess that that was Sherlock at all. But I'm um, all the way through it because it's the first time she'd seen it too. And we're going, bet, bet it's him, bet it's him. And it was Stapleton. And I don't know where we got that from, you but can... we were 11. Mm. <laughs> so we were just picking you, at people. you sure you
1: had not said, better it's him, that everyone had come <laughs> on <the> screen? <laughs> Did the guy on the screen have like a very thin moustache? I,
2: I think he must have looked rather shifty. <laughs> Hello.
0: <laughs> <laughs> all, right, all right, I wonder who it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I suppose that's the difference between that. You know, maybe if you could take your time again, go back to so the it. book first. I think first. when you
2: read a book, and this is why, I think with Mysteries and Crime, I think books are so much better. Because you don't get those little nuances in the face particularly. It's really difficult as an actor to hide everything. If you know that you're, you're, a, you're a wrong one, then you're going to let that show a tiny weenie bit if you know you're the bad one. Mm. Whereas if you're reading a book, you don't have that. You don't have any kind of knowledge of anything that's going on behind the eyes or any nuances in the face. So you can really hide your villains so much easier in, a written, in the written word than you can on, on screen. And I think he does hide him really well. As I was reading it, I was trying to be sort of as far removed from the book as I could be. And I was thinking to myself, would I have known? Would I have thought that? And I think I probably wouldn't have guessed Stapleton, to be Mm. honest. And I still wouldn't have got Holmes. Still wouldn't. I didn't didn't in the TV adaptation and I didn't in this either. So that's really well hidden.
1: It's probably the best... Twist in the book as well. Oh, yeah, it, I, love,
2: I love that. I remember loving that in the TV programme because me and my friend both went, oh! <laughs> 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 and a mum poked her head around the door and went, what? <laughs> it's Holmes. And she sort of smiled like, And
0: then you're on, uh, I think we picked up very early on in your conversation, Rachel, we talked about the, or you talked about the narrative changes. And
2: mm. how,
0: how did that work for you? I actually worked quite well for me.
2: I actually really like that. Mm. Especially mm. if you are sort of struggling to get through a book, that change in mm. narration is really helpful. I love diary entries anyway. That's one of my favourite things to read is diary mm. entries. And I did like Dr. Watson's voice, how clear it was and and how he chose to communicate. And I like the fact that at the beginning it was so dialogue heavy and then it diary entries and I really wish I could have read this fresh because as I'm talking about it I realise how much I like it <laughs> I really, I really like that I thought that's a really clever way of getting somebody through a book and keeping your chapters relatively short and changing that narration each time is really clever
0: um, Well in a little while I want to spend I don't know, let's think about 20 minutes maybe even half an hour uh, discussing exactly what a Grimp and mire is <laughs> Um, But the imposing Baskerville Hall plays a large part in creating the Hound of the Baskervilles' spooky atmosphere. Inspired by this, Rachel has been taking a tour of some other fictional haunted houses.
2: While it's the moors in the Hound of the Baskervilles that are seemingly haunted by the demonic hound, the hall itself is also a place of dread and unease, of strange noises and odd goings-on. On On his first view of his new home, Sir Henry Baskerville, shuddered as he looked up the long, dark drive to where the house glimmered like a ghost at the farther end. There are other houses in fiction which appear to be haunted, but it often transpires that there are things far more dangerous than ghosts to fear. Such is the case of Thornfield Hall in Charlotte Bronte's Jane Eyre. Thornfield is home to Mr Edward Fairfax Rochester, and also to Jane, who lives there as governess to Rochester's ward, Adele. We don't get a full description of Thornfield immediately, as Jane arrives when the place is shrouded in darkness. We do, however, get drip-fed some descriptive lines, like a very chill and vault-like air pervaded the stairs and galleries, suggesting cheerless ideas of space and solitude, and the eerie impression made by that wide hall, that dark and spacious staircase, and that long, cold gallery. On Jane's first full day at Thornfield, she is given a tour of the house, and all is as it should be, nothing to alarm, until a curious laugh, distinct, formal, mirthless, is heard behind a closed door. This laugh is explained away as being that of a member of Staff Grace Poole, but from that moment on, there are ever more inexplicable sounds and events in the house that seem supernatural and strange until the real secret of Thornfield is revealed. Spoil anything for any of our listeners who may not have read the book, as we promised only to spoil Sherlock Holmes today. However, as it's also one of my favourite books of all time, I strongly recommend you read it, as I have 15 times, and discover for yourselves the disturbing truth about Thornfield. In contrast, I admit I've never actually read Susan Hill's The Woman in Black because, frankly, I've just been too scared to. I saw the stage production a few years ago, and that was enough to leave me jumping at the shadows in my house for a good few weeks afterwards. The haunted house in Hill's story is Eel Marsh House, located, as you might expect, in Eel Marsh Island, a plot of land surrounded by marshland, accessible only via the Nine Lides Causeway, which floods in high tide, blocking all access. Of course it does. We are taken through the story and the play by Arthur Kipps, who describes seeing the house. I looked up ahead and saw as if rising out of the water itself a tall, gaunt house of grey stone with a slate roof, It stood like some lighthouse or beacon or martello tower, the most astonishingly situated house I had ever seen or could ever conceivably have imagined. Isolated, uncompromising, but also, I thought, handsome. For a moment or two, I simply sat looking about me in amazement. I felt a strange sensation, an excitement mingled with alarm. So, unlike many haunted houses, Kip's first view of eelmarsh doesn't immediately strike fear or even disquiet. It's a beacon, a handsome building, And one that excites him. However, he should have taken notice of that sense of alarm. Mr Kipp's fate from the moment he sees the woman in black for the first time is sealed. One of the master storytellers when it comes to ghost stories is writer M.R. James. Such was his command of the ghost story, his method of storytelling has now become known as Jamesian. According to Wikipedia, the classic Jamesian tale usually includes the following elements. A characterful setting in an English village, seaside town or country estate, an ancient town in France, Denmark or Sweden, or a venerable abbey or university. A nondescript and rather naive gentleman scholar as protagonist, often of a reserved nature and the discovery of an old book or other antiquarian object that somehow unlocks, calls down the wrath, or at least attracts the unwelcome attention of a supernatural menace, usually from beyond the grave. In James's short story Rats, there is a house that appears at first to have nothing of the supernatural about it. It's described by the narrator as a tall, red brick house, narrow for its height. Perhaps it was built around 1770. The top of the front has a low triangular pediment with a round window in the centre, Behind it are stables and offices, and such garden as it has is behind them. Scraggy Scotch firs are near it, an expanse of gauze-covered land stretches away from it. It commands a view of the distant sea from the upper windows of the front. A sign on a post stands before the door, or did so stand, for though it was an inn of repute once, I believe it is so no longer. Absolutely nothing to worry a visitor here, you might think, but oh no. Within this unassuming house lies a room, a locked room, which the narrator would have done better to ignore. It's this sense of the mundane hiding terrible secrets which makes James's work all the more disturbing and utterly brilliant. Of course, there are haunted houses that are so obviously no-go areas it's a wonder anyone gets near enough to engage with them, such as the House of Usher in Edgar Allan Poe's The Fall of the House of Usher. The narrator approaches the house and writes... About the whole mansion and domain there hung an atmosphere peculiar to themselves and their immediate vicinity, an atmosphere which had no affinity with the air of heaven, but which had reeked up from the decayed trees and the grey wall and the silent tarn, a pestilent and mystic vapour, dull, sluggish, faintly discernible and leaden-hued. He then proceeds to visit, and all levels of malevolence occur. Well, it wasn't as if the house didn't warn him. Haunted houses are not the sole preserve of adult fiction. In fact, The Hunting Ground by Cliff McNish is genuinely one of the most frightening books I've ever read. And it's for kids. Granted, it's for older children, but still. The story revolves around two brothers and their dad, who makes a living renovating houses. At the beginning of the book, they've just moved into a 24 bedroomed mansion called Glebe House, which has a boarded-up east wing. Always be wary of wings in old houses. They're never good news. When strange sounds wake up one of the brothers in the middle of the night, it's just the beginning of a cat and mouse game between the boys and a spirit that can only be described as pure evil. There are good ghosts in this story too, and a diary to heighten the mystery. All good ghost stories need an old diary. If you want to feel your heart pounding and your breath quickening, then The Hunting Ground is well worth your time. Of course, not all haunted houses are frightening. One of the best-known fictional buildings that houses spirits is Hogwarts School from the Harry Potter series by J.K. Rowling. From the mischievous moaning myrtle who haunts the girls' toilets to nearly headless Nick, these ghosts are as unintimidating as any dysfunctional live human would be. Where there are three-headed dogs, gigantic venomous snakes and magicians who shall not be named lurking in the back of people's heads, a few self-pitying spirits are the least of your
0: worries. thanks for that rachel i mean i think they got hogwarts right we talk about hogwarts <laughs> there i think yeah. they got it absolutely right uh, i mean the film certainly i mean I, I, I again i've listened to some of the audiobook narration i've certainly listened to the soundtrack so i used to play i used to play chess to the soundtrack of uh what's the prince one called
2: half blood prince half
0: blood prince mm-hmm. yeah yeah there yeah, you go
2: it is very good chess playing music it is
0: it's absolutely <laughs> brilliant um but I think also with the setting as, as Hogwarts, and we will get back to the hand of the basketballs. Don't worry about that. And a grimp I know you're <laughs> <what> <laughs> is it? on there. Uh, but they made it just scary enough and just yeah. homely enough, just that yeah. right balance to get the age group, the PG or the 12 or whatever age yeah. group you want to get for it. And uh, I don't know, have, have I talked to you two about the studio tour? no <sighs> amazing went on the studio tour and if you get the if, if you get the chance go i mean i get <laughs> yourself there and uh yeah the studio tour is absolutely fantastic and they change it all the time and you get to go in the hogwarts hall and all this kind of business and uh, I, i'm not gonna i'm not gonna spoil the ending for anyone because what happens at the end for me was i mean it's the best money we've spent as a family on a family day outing just to walk in i hit the music right bish bash boom and away it went it was incredible absolutely incredible but they did charge us £5 pounds for two cookies and that, Oof. that scared the living day.
1: <laughs>
0: um, anyway, before we teased about talking about a meyer. <laughs> have, have you two, over the last week oh. or so, or maybe in the last few hours for you, Rachel, <laughs> spent any time on the internet finding out if a Grimpenmeyer does exist? I, I, I don't know. Really, seriously? I don't know. I did. I looked looked it up. (laughs) (laughs) Because I thought, well, this is something that just swallows things into the ground. Yeah. Because we're asked to believe in this story uh, a little bit, but you try and use your logical mind against the supernatural about this hound of hell. But they're asking us to actually believe that there's a bog out there that's just going to suck horses into the ground. And while we're on this, we didn't need to lose Dr Mortimer's dog, did we?
2: No. No. Unnecessary. (laughs) I hate that unnecessary animal deaths in books.
0: Mm. I mean, they illustrated the point with the horses and the ponies and everything else. Poor spaniel. Right, anyway. Mm I suppose we can move towards the end because there is enough here for us to absolutely rip into because don't get me mm-hmm. wrong you know I mean obviously it's coming across that I love this I really love this book and I I, I don't know maybe even before the end of the year I was going to ask you though Andy where, where am I going to go now from Hound of the Basketball so it's the third novel in right is this right?
1: Uh, yeah that's right yeah So I but, don't know should I attack a short story or two uh, do they yeah. do they go in in sort no, of in an order can, or anything you can you really pick and choose You can really pick and choose I mean the study in Scarlet the first novel that starts it off but that's just when Holmes and Watson meet and the rest of them you can just sort of pick your way through there's no there's not even uh, like when I first came to it I expected lots of Moriarty but he's only actually in one of them I think he's mentioned in like another one but he only actually appears in person in one of the short stories. Mm. People wow. do bang on about Moriarty. They, they more, do. Don't they they. And do. And that's don't... really
2: shocked me. I know. And I just think
0: I'd never really come across the fellow until he was on telly. No, do
2: <laughs> Wow. I really want to read the short stories. I think that's going to be my yeah, way
1: that's, in. Yeah, that's a go-to. Yeah, mm. go because uh, I haven't seen
2: any adaptations of those.
1: <laughs> I mean, there's, there's famous ones like Speckled Band and The Red-Headed League. and uh, Yeah things like that but there's some there's some really good like lesser known ones and the good thing is there's 56 of them so you go back you've forgotten like Mm. the solutions again when you start reading them so So
2: that's like Agatha Christie because I love Agatha Christie yeah and I've read all of those and obviously I've watched adaptations since but I actually read those when I was a teenager so I hadn't seen anything so they were absolutely fresh so hearing that there's 56 did you say short stories
0: yeah that's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is good and i think a lot of the time and i found with with the hound of the basketballs getting into it straight away because we know the characters and we know the relationship the brilliant relationship between holmes and watson and how much they they both need each other you know you can you can have that genius without the practicality and vice versa uh, or the man of action and i just found it nice just to go straight in chapter one boom right yeah we got this that's what? that's
2: something i really loved about it mm. was that the the way it just goes bang in, and I love that about a book. I hate all this stuff at the beginning with la, la 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 It just <laughs> gets straight in it, and I love that. And I think that's why um, it's recommended a lot to teenagers as like a first step into adult mm. reading is the Arthur Conan Doyle books because they're nice. They're a nice length, and they just get going, which I really like. Because you don't got time for faffing about. Do you say so.
1: your interest sort of tailed off a bit when Holmes wasn't around? Though, cause yeah. there's quite a big chunk there where he. He leaves, isn't
2: that? Yeah, I mean, to be honest, until I was totally with it, loving them going to Devonshire and finding, you know, finding Basketball Hall and meeting various people, it just lost me a little bit in the middle. It's probably more to do with me than the book, to be fair. And then it started to go up again when they when they met Laura Lyons. Yeah. Um. Then it started to peak up a little bit, and I think possibly because the bit in the middle I was just so familiar, and it's that it's that sort of trough, isn't it? That of really interesting bit and then getting a bit of explanation and trying to work stuff out in the middle and then it's starting to come together and so... I do need to read it again, preferably. But, yeah, just tiny... Whet th- your
1: appetite. Go back to some of the short stories. Yeah, I really want to The Copper Beaches is a really good Copper one. Copper Beaches. Go to the Copper Beaches.
2: That. I will go to the Copper Beaches.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and then read <laughs> yeah. Holmes. Yeah. So this is funny because I'm actually...
0: I'm genuinely asking for a recommendation, yeah. which I'm genuinely going to yeah, carry yeah, out. Yeah, same. 51 episodes in and we got it. <laughs> uh, right. That's true, actually. You don't even uh, no, uh, uh,
2: listen to recommendations.
0: I know. Well, normally I write things down. Look, I'm writing it down You now. are
2: writing it down. Could you write it down so, for me as well? Right,
0: you're Don't write it twice. Copper
1: (laughs) he's actually written it but Uh, talking of like this bit where Holmes isn't around Mm. I've got like a theory of why he's there not just obviously he has to disappear so he can have that big reveal when he comes back but I think it's to do with how Conan Doyle works on the audience because for me the the amazing thing about this book is that you go into it you know it's a Sherlock Holmes mystery so you know the solution is going to be rational Mm. and yet he plays with your, your mind he, and he presents you with so many of these supposedly rational people mm. who have got to the point where they can't deny the existence of this dog anymore. Mm. And so even though you know it, it's not going to be a supernatural ending, it may, it works on you. So you mm. start to think, well, maybe that is true. And by taking... Holmes is the ground in force, yeah. which if he's there... He'll always be interjecting with skepticism and yeah. and keeps you like grounded in that. So removing him and leaving you with Watson for this long stretch mm. has this this effect that you start to think, maybe it could be yeah. a demon dog. I mean for me, what that reminds me of, and stay with me on this, is Charlie in <laughs> the Chocolate Factory. Right. <laughs> uh, because in Charlie in the Chocolate Factory, Roll Dahl actually like every time i read it he, he manages to convince me that charlie isn't going to win the golden ticket yeah. <laughs> because he, he he leaves it for so long you have he, he buys so many bars of chocolate and and then he puts in that red herring where someone has one and it turns out to be a fake and you think you're and you think he's not going to get it <laughs> and you know it's called charlie in the chocolate factory not charlie admires the chocolate factory from afar <laughs> so you know he's going to end up in the chocolate factory but he does that amazing thing where he makes you actually worry that he's not going to get in there. Oh,
2: I love that about a book when it does that. I absolutely love it when you are reading it going, I really don't know how this is going to work out because it can't work out. <laughs> and, you think, and you're trying to really, and you think, no, no. And I've got 10 pages. It's not going to work out in 10 pages. <laughs> so I love that. And, and I guess that's what was missing for me with this with this book because I already knew. If I hadn't already known, then I would, oh, yeah. or maybe, maybe it is a demon dog, but it can't be because it's... <laughs>
1: It sort of is a demon dog because it's, it's still a dog that goes through your throat. It's that's, a a, s- that's as scary to me yeah. as if it's supernatural or yeah, not. True
2: enough.
1: I didn't, I didn't understand it. And like you said earlier, painted
0: up, but I didn't understand why then that was... You know, it's foggy, I'll give you that, but they can't guarantee on fog all the time, can you? <laughs> um, but or, what what was around its mouth? So, so, oh, so, yeah, so, so it was blue, to, wasn't it? So yeah, to make it look like it's breathing fire. Which yeah. Do you really need that? No, but no. I know, What are we in the year now? We're recording this in the year 2019. Hello, the future. Let's hope things get better. Uh, but this was written in 18... Something 1887
2: is it 1902.
0: All oh, right, okay, right. So a long time ago, right? Yeah. Uh, so, th- but at that point, that might have well just have been a very good explanation. You yeah, take and, that on board.
2: <laughs> to, to be honest, as right well, now I'm going well because as well the whole the whole story of that legend was so permeated into that culture and that area that everyone was sort of half believing it anyway. Yeah. So you only need to give them a whisper of something like, oh, I bet it was that because you'd you'd already set that paranoia in anyway. And he only came out at night and he was, it sounded like a very big dog. Did he even need to paint it? I don't think he did, really, (laughs) to be honest. But, um, I mean, this big, massive dog coming at you, was Mm -hmm. was it like a mastiff or something? They're huge. Mm -hmm. So if that's coming at you through some fog, yeah, I'd probably have a little bit of a brown trousers time.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. That
0: one's going in the trailer. (laughs) Oh,
1: no. Oh, no.
0: (laughs) So I put it. I put it to you, and I think I'm very good at uh, giving you the real endings to things, right? Stapleton in this. Stapleton got away. They never found him. They found bits. They didn't. Yeah. F- yeah. They found bits of his belongings. I think he got away. He's still at
1: large. Maybe, maybe, now, even still. Yep. <laughs> wow. Maybe he was Moriarty. Oh,
2: maybe Moriarty's been in more than one.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh, 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 uh. Oh, I kind of. I definitely had him gone. But now you've, you've,
0: what, into you've, a Grimp and Mire? Explain
1: <laughs> that to me.
2: Well, because I don't know what it is.
0: <laughs> then. Like, that can definitely
2: be uh, his demise. Uh,
1: <laughs> but,
2: oh, no, that's really... I don't know now. It's amazing mm. that there's
1: these kind of plot holes when it doesn't matter. Because you think in a mystery novel, like if you watch an episode of Columbo and the, the solution is rubbish, it ruins the whole thing. Totally but does. With this, the, the, the solution's not good, but I kind of go with it. Yeah,
2: because the journey there was really interesting in Yeah. Science.
1: Oh the most horrific thing in it for me is not the demon dog that goes through your throat. The most horrifying thing in the old book for me is Watson's reaction to the suggestion that they just let this escaped murderer run off to South America. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, uh, it, yeah. It, it, I think he says it would certainly uh, relieve the yeah. British taxpayer of a yeah. burden. <laughs> And this is a guy who they've they've said at one point, the only reason they didn't send him to the gallows was because his crimes were so horrific that they said he must have been mad. Yeah. And yet he's like, Oh yeah, fine, you you're related to the Barrymores, so you can yeah, fine off you can go. Have him. Yeah. Watson should be in prison. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh controversial. <laughs> it's
1: definitely written of
0: its time. And he's you know, it, he's right. And uh, yeah, I think Holmes was rightly surprised and a touch disappointed by that wasn't it but yeah when you talk about audiobooks when i waffle on about audiobooks it's funny as soon as you mentioned that point there an absolute vision came in my mind as to where i was when i thought the exact same
2: <laughs> and it was it was
0: it was next i was just walking the dog next to a lake and that was it boom and you just got all oh, right there i am transported again into swan home lakes <laughs> um right okay so what I wanted to talk about uh, for the next half an hour or so <laughs> is epilogues. And I think this is, I wouldn't say unique to murder mysteries, but it certainly, I think, comes back up to it again. When you have an ending like this and then there's an epilogue. Mm. And in this case, it's two or three cases back from Sherlock Holmes until they end up at, uh, what, what's the address? 221B. B. 221B, 221B, Baker Street. Not for a couple of months did they actually talk about the end of the case. And <laughs> I was just thinking, what did they talk about on the train home? Yeah. I've been to Devon. It's a long way. <laughs> Not as far as Cornwall, admittedly. It is a long way. You could have a good chat. It is. You could wrap it up then, couldn't you? You could. At that point. And they do it, They, I know they do it for scenes in TV series, don't they? So they get back to the flat and then
1: talk about it. We think, what did you talk about in the car? They they might not talk. There's all those bits where he goes, Holmes was lost in a reverie and things like that. (laughs) He's probably...
2: That's where he was. Mm, He's probably doing something
1: like that, Smoking his pipe, perhaps. Or injecting cocaine. That's one thing that he he does in Mm. the the books. It was legal back then. So Holmes... Like, Watson's kind of disapproving of it in the books, but he is like a bit of an addict, Mm. uh, which is something that often surprises people.
2: To be fair, in the retrospection, Watson does say, I had waited patiently for the opportunity, for I was aware that he would never permit cases to overlap and that his clear and logical mind would not be drawn from its present work to dwell upon memories of the past. So could it be that he got another case really quickly after that one? So it just, right, right, I'm not going to think about that for the minute. Well, only Let's if he got,
0: that. I was about to say a phone call, but they weren't, made. <laughs> a telegram.
2: A telegram, could be. He could got be. a telegram
0: to Baskerville Hall, I'll give you that.
2: I'm just trying to give him an excuse. <laughs>
1: yeah. I don't believe it. I really Aww. enjoyed that reading anyway. It took me back you? into it. I love <laughs> I love the language and everything. You said uh, number add,
2: 31, yeah, audible yeah, yeah. You narrator. Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> add, it, add it on. I'd, like, oh, I'd listen to you narrate it. If you, if you want to reread it again, read it into a tape recorder and then I'll, I'll go back to it. Oh, I like reading. I love some of the, the phrases though. I, I imagine Stephen Fry saying it. There's a a bit where he, he talks about... Uh, Miss Mrs Stapleton well she's mm. Miss Stapleton isn't she yeah and then uh, Mrs yes. and when Holmes is talking about it, he says well, we'll meet Miss Stapleton who I've heard is a woman of attractions
2: yes <laughs>
1: attractions yeah
2: not just one and a number of attractions
1: early on the uh, Dr Mortimer says to Holmes I confess sir that I covet your skull <laughs> That is a good line.
2: That that first, that opening bit of dialogue, I absolutely loved it.
1: There's loads of little humorous bits throughout it, though, isn't there? There are. I like the This strange guy, Frankland.
2: Oh, he's hilarious. Who
1: appears in it is like this kind of.
2: I really liked him.
1: Pointlessly litigious. (laughs) rogue
2: and he actually contradicts himself a lot as well yeah so he'll go on one side and then oh but that's no fun anymore so i'll go on the opposite side
0: yeah
1: <laughs>
2: he's just great actually he's a lot like my dad <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh,
0: right okay if there's no other business i'm going to get down to the business
2: <laughs> okay
0: of judging this uh, which seems well as always seems like a waste of time but uh, it's part of the, it's part of the script we'll do it um so is this book as dapper as a deer stalker <laughs> And I saw someone recently wearing a deerstalker in Liverpool. I was in I was in Liverpool a week or so ago, running around in circles for six hours, and on my way there, I saw this fella walking into the news agent and um he was wearing a deerstalker.
2: Awesome. Was he, me he smoking a pipe?
0: He wasn't no no no. no no no. He wasn't wearing anything else like because I've been on Baker Street before, I've driven down Baker Street in London and I saw a fella dressed up as Sherlock Holmes there to entertain the tourists. That's where Holmes was, out in the street.
2: You missed him. You
0: missed him. <laughs> we got lumbered with what love that story and um, he was up in the in the proper regalia but this guy and it would be very easy for me now I mean I, honestly the punchline is out there for me to say yeah he was in Liverpool he was wearing a shell suit and he wasn't he wasn't he was just wearing jeans and a t-shirt <laughs> but a deerstalker cool. um, or is it as stinky as a pipe full of shag tobacco that's been left to rot in the grimpen mire <laughs> oh. when they say more do we, how do you say more more more
2: oh. why not mooer <laughs>
0: Well, it. Stephen <laughs> Fry's is brilliant when you moor.
2: Oh, oh, well, he ah, would. Hmm. Yeah, that's, that's very special ways of saying most words.
1: But anyway, it's dapper as the deerstalker. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't
2: it? It is. It's a deerstalker with a little bit of that, what did you call it? The tobacco. It's just yeah. like hanging on the edges a bit. And that's my fault entirely. I I, I put the hat in the Grimpen Mire. A, <laughs> a tobacco-stained
0: deerstalker. Yeah. A yeah. shag-tainted deerstalker. And stalker. it's my fault
2: that it got stained. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Um, yeah, and I loved it. That's and I'm that. going
2: to go and read the other 56 uh, yay.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Starting with
2: the Copper Beaches, right? It's
0: Copper Beaches, Copper yeah. Beaches, Copper right. Beaches. And we encourage our listeners to do so too. And if you have, please, by all means, get in contact with us at hello at spoilerpodcast.co.uk. And uh, next episode is going to be Top Gun. Top Gun. And I've got oh, I've got such a brilliant story to share. I'm not going <laughs> to spoil it now by saying, uh, <laughs> but you, you must tune in for that. You must tune in for that. Knockout. I, I'm bursting at the seams
1: to tell my Top Gun <laughs> story.
0: Like uh, so, but uh, go back, watch Top Gun, let us know what you think of it. Uh, search us out on Facebook. Uh, I'm Joe Schmo on Twitter, whatever. Find us uh, and let us know what you think. And uh, hey, one of these times we might read out someone from someone <laughs> else other than us three egos in here. Um, so, thanks to Rachel. Thanks to Andy. Uh, thanks to our producer, as always, for uh, knocking this into shape. Uh, and thanks most of all, of course to you for listening and uh, keep telling your friends because, uh, hey, those those numbers are creeping up now and we're really, really proud of what we do here. And we're also very proud of our genial
1: Andy Goulding. My GP, Dr. Watson, isn't what you call reliable. His flaunting of the Hippocratic Oath is undeniable. While other doctors focus on completing daily rounds, he's out accosting murderers or chasing after hounds, thwarting vicious criminals and villainous professors and wielding guns more often than he wields tongue depressors. I'm all for outside interests, but this amateur detection distracts him from the case of my bacterial infection, and while the nation's criminals have Watson on their trails, he's not here to investigate my septic ingrown nails. His waiting room's my second home, I've spent so long in there, I may be forced to take my hypochondria elsewhere. To someone who would never make me wait for an appointment who scorns applying methods and prefers applying ointment, who doesn't care for broken laws as much as broken bones, and makes the odd home visit but would never visit homes. As if by intervention of a powerful divinity, just such a chap has moved to the immediate vicinity, and started his own practice in an office so much cleaner, reflecting his impeccable professional demeanour. I've waited for the day that such a man would come along, his name is Dr Jekyll. What could possibly go wrong?
0: You've been listening to Spoiler hosted by me, Paul Tyler, with Andy Goulding and Rachel Bennett. Our theme music was composed by Ron Butcher. Bye. enjoyed the show please do tell your friends about us share links to our show or write us a nice review on iTunes if you'd like to contact us you can email hello at spoilerpodcast.co.uk find us on Twitter or Facebook or go to our website spoilerpodcast.co.uk Next time on Spoiler, we're watching Tom Cruise's 1986 action drama, Top Gun. I feel the need, the need for speed. Ow! Spoiler is produced by Johnny Hall and is a Joe Schmo production. The show was recorded at the studios of Siren Radio in the heart of the beautiful cathedral city of Lincoln.